This is First Nature on the Rising Man Podcast with your host, Sean Barry. Good day to you, Rising Man family. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, my name is Sean Barry. This is First Nature. Uh, really excited to bring, uh, to share this topic about right relationship with nature today. Right relationship with nature. What exactly does that mean? We're going to get into that and, um, and also talk about this concept of nature connection and what is that and why is that a thing? Why is that a term? Uh, so hang on, we're going to drop into that in just a second. But first, I just want to remind you, um, especially if you're a man, particularly if you're a man and you're coming into a time in your life where you know that there's more to you than, uh, than what is now. But you're not sure how to discover it. You're not sure what the tools are that will really help you go to the next level to level up your uh, capacity, to level up your ability to contribute, to be of service, to give your gifts to, to self, to lead yourself and lead others and, and all the different ways that leadership exists. Um, if you're feeling that it's time to expand and grow and develop and take on some challenges to have some breakthroughs, uh, please do head over to risingman.org. Um, there you will find a really wonderful growing community of men just like you who are uh, doing their work, you know, whatever that looks like, and going through the programs uh, that Rising Man offers. Inferno, Father to Father, Ignite, Dads on Purpose, Fire Circles, Compass, Dojo. All these are really uh, powerful, powerful programs filled with men who are diving into themselves and supporting each other as they do this work together. And dropping into one of these programs is really a wonderful way not only to spark and develop further yourself, but it's also a great opportunity to make some really great connections with other men from all over, across the country, across the state. Even we got some people internationally that are showing up to these programs and, and bringing themselves to it with all their authenticity and, and vulnerability. And it's a really beautiful thing. So I'm super excited to be part of this organization and to show up in that way with these men and uh, to share with you on this podcast today. So um, yeah, check it out. I'm sure you'll find something that might pique your interest. So risingman.org. All right, without any further ado, right relationship with nature. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Rising Man family, Sean Barry here. Thanks for tuning in again for this uh, this episode of First Nature. And uh, I'm recording in the field, so there's probably going to be a little bit of audio interference with some of the breeze that's blowing through here in uh, beautiful, warm, sunny Topanga in Southern California. But you know, that's uh, I, I, I'm okay with that, and because uh, I feel like hearing that little bit of breeze in the background if it comes through is it's putting it in context. It's putting, you know, I mean, I've done a few episodes, most of the episodes actually in a studio setting where I'm sitting inside a room and got a microphone and headphones and all that. And, and that's all well and good too. But last month when I did the uh, podcast, which came as uh, impromptu because I was out in the desert and came across um, this dead rat, this rabbit that was dying. And I basically recorded a podcast right then and there and really enjoyed the process of just talking more in the moment, um, more kind of guerrilla style with just 
point and shoot documentation and sharing and um, and just being in context, right? Talking about nature and uh, why not be in nature? And um, you know, if we get a little bit of breeze blowing in there in the background, we'll just consider it a little bit of natural audio sweetening. So here we go, right relationship with nature. I've been thinking about this, this term, right relationship and uh, wanted to just share some thoughts on that, put some perspective, give a little bit of historical context and um, talk about how uh, right relationship with nature is um, what I feel is something really important, especially this day and age. And not to use, you know, not to drop the, the A-bomb of the buzzword climate change, um, but, you know, between pandemics and wild weather fluctuations and all this stuff that's going on. I know that my awareness and attention has become even more heightened just on the environment of this planet and my personal actions and the actions of all of us across the world. It feels important to um, to name that because I feel like that's it's a little bit on everybody's mind. We're all aware of it. Um, we're understanding that we're up against some major challenges, whether it's human induced or not. It's, it's you know, the data's there. It's Something's happening and we are, uh, we're not quite prepared for it. So what I like about that though, uh, even though it can be a little scary to talk about, is um, it's bringing attention and awareness to nature, bringing attention and awareness to this planet, this place we call home. And I can't help but say it every time, um, this is the, the only planet out there where you can walk around barefoot in a t-shirt, swim in the oceans and you know lay in the grass and watch the stars. It's an amazing place for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of light years around. So it's our home, it's where we live. And it's important to know that we have some response ability, right? We have the ability to respond. We have the ability to, to notice and become aware of how our thinking and actions make an impact. And to have reciprocal nature around how our impact and our thinking affects all the other life systems and thereby our life support system on this planet. So right relationship with nature. Uh, nature connection, that's something we talk about a lot here on this podcast and I just want to come back to that. Nature connection, what is it? Why is it a thing? How did it become a thing? Right? And um, you know, basically what that's saying is it's, it's looking at each of us as individuals and to our interior lives and asking the question is, am I connected to nature? And what does that mean? You know, a lot of us uh, have a lot of phobias around certain aspects of nature, whether it's creepy crawly insects or wild animals that could eat us or natural disasters or getting lost in the woods. Um, you know, there's a lot that can uh, really <laughs> affect our quality of lives pretty quickly that's going on in the natural world around us. And that can create a break in connection. It can create a break in feeling that we are part of all the nature around us that, you know, again, we are eating the food that comes out of the surface of the earth, whether it's the vegetation that grows or the animals we eat that eat the vegetation that grows out of the planet. We are made, our bodies are made of the dirt and the soil and the vitamins and minerals and all the things that are lying about underneath our feet. So we are part of nature and psychologically, sometimes it's hard to remember that because in the modern world, we've done a pretty good job of creating a lot of uh, interpretations of nature. You know, like we're not just living off the land like our ancestors did where we are, um, 
using simple tools, you know, using sticks to rub together to make fire. We've gone far, far beyond that um, to where fire is something we can hold in our, you know, between two fingers and flick a switch and poof, there's fire. So it's hard to connect that back to uh, nature. It doesn't really, it's not a natural expression, you know, so to speak, if we're thinking of nature as being natural state, right? And if you look at the history of what we've done with our technological advances, all the way starting with, you know, a lot of uh, anthropological studies kind of point to the agricultural revolution from about 15,000 years ago, where we started to um, have a departure from some of the more simpler, more adjacent, you know, close systems and tools that we were using to live off of the earth and going into a more, uh, less of relationship with nature into more of a dominion over nature, right? Conforming nature and, you know, making nature, you know, uh, do our bidding, so to speak. And the psychological change that we started to have when we realized that we could actually have influence over how systems work uh, through agriculture. That's, you know, that's how, that's how I would say that it became a thing, you know, because since that time, as we've gone forward, um, nature becomes more and more of this distant thing in the background that is uh, more of, you know, like I think a lot of people just think it's like nice. It's nice to get out in nature. It can be like a, a pursuit, you know, a hobby to be out in nature. And sure, there's maybe connection of enjoying a nice day outside and seeing a beautiful sky or taking a beautiful walk, beautiful hike, camping trips, backpacking even, you know, can get you into more of a, more of a deep nature connection feeling. But it's still this, you know, pre the prevailing sense is that it's something we go to spend some time in and then come out of and then it's separate. We're separate from it. At least that's the psychological perspective we're carrying. So today I just wanted to dive in a little bit and... Um, talk about how to ameliorate that circumstance. I can imagine that some people might be feeling like, well, wait, I don't know if I want to, you know, ameliorate that because it feels good. It feels safe. It feels um, empowering to, to know that we can hold things at arm's length if we want to, to know that nature isn't something we have to submit to, right? Um, obviously, we've all been affected many times over our lives with nature interrupting our plans, whether it's a snowstorm or floods or fires or, um, you know, hailstorms denting up your roof and costing money to get your roof fixed or your car, um, animal bites, uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways nature kind of like just comes in and disrupts our lives and kind of knocks us off kilter, gets us behind our schedules, costs us money. And, um, and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. So some people would be like, I don't know if I want to uh, be that close with nature because then I have to be affected by it. And, uh, and that's valid. I can totally embrace and um, understand and, and uh, sympathize with that feeling. But um, I hope you'll continue to listen if that's you, because I also want to in introduce this aspect of um, how enriching and enlivening and how much connecting on a deeper level with nature can enliven our sense of humanity, of being human, and what does it mean to be human walking around on this planet. The first thing I wanted to introduce is, is how do certain ideas even get into our heads, right? So I'm not a psychologist. Um, I've read certain books. I've, uh, I think about this kind of stuff a lot. So I'm going to just share uh, a simple way to kind of put down uh, the first, you know, the first kind of cornerstone on um, how do we even get into a position where nature connection is something we think we need 
So I'm just going to read. I got my screen here. I got some notes and, um, and I got a bunch of quotes today to read. So a lot of reading off the page today, and then we'll get into a little more of a, uh, just looking at how we might take this information and, and, uh, use it, um, to our advantage to, to, uh, to be better humans, to heal ourselves, to become more fully holy who we are, not only as people to ourselves and each other, but as beings, again, walking around on a planet. So um, there's various stages and times in our life, uh, overwhelmingly when we are young children into our adolescent ages, when originating perspectives are transmitted to us. If we're not able to consciously track those moments when those perspectives or paradigms enter the doorway of our consciousness and assess them for ourselves, uh, it will bias the experience of our truth, our personal truth. We then go forward into increasing complexities of life as we grow and develop and unfolding as we grow mature. Life circumstances and experiences are censored by these subconscious biases. And the message we get is the bias tells us this is how life is. And until we become aware and identify these beliefs that slipped in under our radar and confront their veracity, we live inauthentically, right? We're living according to a belief system that we did not experience directly. And it's not according to the truth as it occurs to us unfiltered by these prior biases. So a simple way to understand that lengthy uh, <laughs> layman's you know, attempt at explaining how we end up thinking or believing things we think and believe is uh, just a little scenario. So imagine you're, you know, three, four-year-old kid and um, there's a glass of water sitting on the kitchen table and the glass is exactly filled with water like halfway, right? So we're kind of leading into that, uh, that little parable about the glass being half full or half empty, right? So you're looking at it or you're noticing it, maybe you're, you've never really noticed, you know, because it's half full, it kind of catches your attention. And let's say your mom, your dad, or your older brother or sister walks by and, and they say something to you like, oh, that glass is half empty or that glass is half full, right? So before you've had a, a chance to really make your own assessments based on your kind of originating perspective of how truth occurs to you and how to name it, um, one has been given to you. Right. So let's say that person says the glass is half full. Um, so now that kind of goes into the minds and we start getting into other circumstances and situations in life where uh, that metaphor is reflected in other situations. Uh, I'm not going to go through trying to figure some out, but basically you would tend to go through life looking at it as life, you know, as a half full glass. Right. Um, which sounds like a pretty positive perspective overall, and it probably is, but there's, I'm sure there's times where that could be detrimental or vice versa. You know, you get told the glass is half empty and, and then you go through the world, through, through your life thinking, you know, life's half empty. So again, that's just to illustrate that um, we're all carrying certain biases that we did not um, come to conclusions based on our own personal experience of them. A lot of our beliefs and philosophies and orientations to the meaningfulness and purposefulness of life has a lot of, um, you know, early, early impressions that we weren't aware we were getting. This is so this is to say most of us are carrying around a biased belief about connection to nature. And I want to really demolish that bias and submit the axiom for review that we are not nature disconnected and never have been. Right. So whatever your impression about the glass, half empty glass, half full applies to your understanding of whether you feel nature connected or you feel nature disconnected. 
I just like wipe that off the chart. And, and actually even look at the words, nature connection, right? I'm really big on words and their etymology. And, and I would say even words can be responsible for giving us paradigms and opinions that we don't really under, that we don't really realize we're getting until, you know, years and years later when we realize um, we're operating on words uh, that have given us beliefs. I think neuro-linguistic language programming is, is one of those fields that help to reprogram our language to better reflect our personal truths. So words play a big power in that too. Um, but the word connection, it comes from Latin. It means to fasten together. Um, con, meaning together, and nectar, bind. And nature breaks down to a birth, origin, natural constitution or quality, to be born. Right, so putting those two words together as nature connection, uh, it's you know just saying that we again looking at this just the science of it because so many of us are science minded. Our bodies are literally made of the dirt. That's, that's a scientific fact. It's a spiritual truth found in virtually every uh, indigenous belief system. Um, so many many creation stories talk about us being coming out of you know the, some god or animal basically pulling us out of the clay. So we are nature. We are nature. You are nature. And while we may feel nature disconnected, it's literally, figuratively, scientifically, spiritually impossible for us to be nature disconnected. So I really want to pause there, just let that sink in. You cannot be nature disconnected. You are nature connected. So yes, I'm issuing a bias statement to you. And your opportunity here is to consciously listen to it and decide if that is true for you or not. There's a phrase that's often used in 12-step called, feelings are not facts. So when I say to you that you are nature connected deeply, continually, eternally, you may not feel that. But that feeling is not the fact. So we can hold the feeling in one hand and feel the feeling of it doesn't feel true. And also um, decide whether or not we want to embrace the fact of that it's true. It's true. So as we go forward, just hold on to that and let that just kind of come in and come out and, and uh, give yourself an opportunity to consciously choose a belief based on this information. And we'll see where you're at with it at the end. I'm going to continue. Um, I wanted to read some things uh, that basically point to how much humans in general, just call us humans as a species with our language and our feelings are pursuing connection with nature, right? If you look at uh, any, any older religious texts, um, poetry, songs, art, I mean, nature's everywhere. It's in everything. Um, metaphors, you know, we, it's hard to actually talk about us and our human experience without bringing nature in as a comparative uh, piece. So here's one of my favorite songs. This is a song by John Denver. It was off his album called Seasons of the Heart. The name of the song is called Children of the Universe. And um, 
just close your eyes. I'm just going to read these lyrics and just let them wash over you. A heritage of vision was given to us all to smell the roses fragrance, to hear the songbirds call, to watch the distant moonlight fill the coming of the tides, to understand that life is more than always choosing sides. And some have seen what can be seen of sailing ships and kings. And some are given feet of clay and some are given wings. Some must struggle just to breathe. Some have a golden spoon and some will never leave the nest while some walk on the moon. And don't you know, the life that lives within the silent hills is just as rich and beautiful and just as unfulfilled. As man with all his intellect, his reason and his choice, oh, who's to say the nightingale has any less a voice? The silver dolphins twist and dance and sing to one another. The cosmic ocean knows no bounds for all that live are brothers and sisters. The whippoorwill, the grizzly bear, the elephant, the whale, all children of the universe, all weavers of the tale. So Palomino, lie back down and dream yourself to sleep. The hawk flies with the morning dove, the lion with the sheep. As far away as you may go, we'll never be apart, for it is in your heart that you will know. Now, it's in your dreams that you will know the seasons of the heart. It's a beautiful song, and I really encourage you to look it up and take a good listen. Um, and I, I love how beautifully uh, just the poetry of that song calls in a feeling for me of a potential, a potential to be so wonderfully connected to my natural surroundings, to this planet, to nature. And that we have that potential. We, we can imagine it. We perceive it. We can sometimes even feel it. So hard to hold on to. So hard to live by. Uh, I wanted to read a little quote by a naturalist, um, Aldo Leopold. All right. So he wrote, he did a lot of, uh, he wrote several books and um, he kind of coined a term or a definition for right relationship with nature. He says, a thing is right when it tends to preserve the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community. It is wrong when it tends otherwise. So as a working definition about what right relationship is, uh, I want to just kind of put that in as we go forward and, and be looking at all of the different ways that we go through life, that I go through life, and, um, and noticing all the different ways that I either am... Uh, uh, preserving the integrity, stability, and, and the beauty of biotic, the biotic communities that I'm moving through and all the ways that it doesn't. And uh, it's, it's sometimes shocking to notice how much of my actions um, do not preserve those things, particularly when I'm someone who feels so passionate about nature connection and, and love nature so much and, and continually trying to deepen my sense of connection. Um, it's a little uh, humbling, to be honest. Uh, the next thing I'm going to read is an excerpt from Humans and Nature, The Right Relationship. It's an uh, article that was written by Jeffrey Garver and Peter Brown. And they say, uh, over just the last two decades, science has radically altered its view of the arrangements of the arrangement both of life and of non-living components of the earth. New understandings are emerging that place relationship at the center. 
Biology and physics are moving away from a reductionist view of function in which the activity of a living cell or an ecosystem, for example, is explained by being reduced to its parts, rather than including the relationship between those parts as essential to our understanding. Today's scientists are admitting that this 300-year-old scientific doctrine is far too simplistic, and they are finding that physical substances work and exist in terms of highly complex, interdependent, and changeable contexts and relationships. So I find that fascinating because even the scientific community is coming around. And if you just look at, you know, anything out there in the world, look at ourselves, how magnificently complex and sophisticated we are as organisms and all that we're capable of and that we're a product, you know, we're a product of this planet. And I'm not going to get too much into um, spiritual perspectives about how the human came to be. Um, I personally find it's more thrilling and exciting and more awe-inspiring to, um, to look towards the evolutionary model of how life happened here and that step-by-step-by-step uh, step step, um, the human is walking around. And, um, and there's lots of other um, you know, phenomena, aliens, UFOs, gods, you name it. It's all out there and they all make it for a very rich fabric of explaining why we're here but nonetheless um, we have hearts we have organs we have you know a brain a mind we have fingers that can manipulate all kinds of things you look at the things we've made satellites rocket ships cell phones cars agriculture uh, textiles oh my gosh what we're capable of is phenomenal you know and that's all because of the relationship of how our entire physical mental spiritual uh, emotional system works as a composite entity, right? That's amazing. That's amazing. So science is coming around to looking at all the planet through that same context of, of how we observe ourselves. And I think that's really inspiring. There's a cultural anthropologist, her name's Catherine Prigo. She says, very basically, animism, which is like considered sort of the, not the first, but one of the originating fundamental spiritual uh, concepts of humankind. Very basically, animism is a belief that all things animate and inanimate have a spirit of their own, and there is no boundary between the physical world and the spiritual world. Primitive tribes, such as the Native American Ojibwa in Canada, have no word for the abstract concept of nature. Nature is only a concept to those who are remote from it and look up look upon it from somewhere else. Uh, so that's interesting, right? Imagine if we didn't have any words like nature, you know, because yeah, and it's hard to get out of our own mindset, right? But if we say, uh, if we say the word, uh, I'm going to go out to nature, I'm going to go get in nature or nature this, nature that, right? Immediately we're, we're already, just by saying that word, it creates a separation in our minds that it is something separate from us. When again, the truth is we are not separate. We are nature. And within our language, it's really hard to get around, you know, making that not sound like a Even to say that we are nature, there's still some, some separation that occurs in my mind when I, because I, I still have to make the link, right? I have to say that to myself. Um, Austin Klein, he does a lot of lectures around uh, spirituality and religions and anthropo anthropological concepts. And he says, many primitive animistic tribal people, such as the Nayaka tribe of Southern India and the Navajo in North America, perceive everything around them as the same as them, as their kin, 
as family. A tree, the wind, a stone, everything in their natural environment which they interact with becomes a close and important relation, a member of their family and therefore something that requires respect. This way of blending with everything around you ties in with the very essence of primitive tribal existence, which does not encounter individuality like we do. In a tribe, everyone's motivation is sourced externally from the same place, rather than from an inward and intensely personal realm. I don't know if you can hear those acorn woodpeckers going off, but uh, they're getting ready to nest in for the night. Uh, let me read that part again. In a tribe, everyone's motivation is sourced externally from the same place in the environment, rather than from an inward and intensely personal realm, like most of us, first world's modern humans. Primitive people have no, quote, inner realms. Thoughts, emotions, and ideas are all expressed and on view for the tribe to see. Hidden thoughts or behavior that does not blend with the tribe and the natural laws would be a matter for the medicine man or shaman to intercede with. So that's fascinating because I personally, uh, being prone as an introvert, I'm very, I, you know, I keep things very close to the vest, careful about who I talk to, about my personal going-ons. Um, I do a lot of processing and thinking things through before talking or sharing about them. And when I read this, I was trying to imagine what I, you know, my identity of how I see myself, how that would change if I was brought up in a culture where uh, I wasn't, that wasn't reinforced or taught or even, you know, again, it wasn't suggested at an early age somewhere without me having a chance to decide whether it's true for me or not, like the glass of water being half full or half empty, right? So we've all come through some kind of cultural imprint that tells us that um, we have our personal autonomy and our inner lives are separate and autonomous from everybody else's that's been with us from early 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 right just after birth that starts getting reinforced so how how do we or if we want to or even if we could how do we actually completely flip that 180 right that's big work by the 17th century rene descartes and isaac newton had everyone believing that all physical matter is in fact dead. This evolution of scientific thought has followed our complex social development and so has in turn fueled our spiritual development, but not because the monotheistic God of your choice evolved from an animistic view of the world. Rather by separating spirit and matter, we then had to account for spirituality, right? So basically what he's saying there is, you know, when the scientific minds and this is, you know, this is another podcast. It's probably a whole, you know, thing. But I'm always fascinated with those early scientific minds who started to um, look at that world in the system way or the, the, the parts way, right? And just what was the inspiration and how that became, uh, like they said, 300 years now. We've been looking at everything as parts, or just back to coming around to looking at things as systems. But basically he's saying once we kind of turned that lens in on ourselves and broke our, our own existence down into parts, um, you know, so we've got a physical part, we've got an emotional part, we've got a spiritual part, and, and then we have, you know, this separation. We start seeing ourselves as separate pieces. And I think that is a big piece of, or <laughs> that is a big part of, of how we got into the situation where we see ourselves as separate from nature. 
One of the features of nature religions is that they do not, they do not rely upon scriptures, individual prophets, or single religious figures as symbolic centers. Any believer is treated as capable of immediate apprehension of divinity and the supernatural. And I think that's fascinating too, you know, to, to again, look at ourselves as, you know, and again, I don't know if the language, if we have it in our distinction of language, but to not look at ourselves as autonomous, separate beings, but to, to look at each other as, um, I don't know, self-empowered. I don't know how we would say it. You know, that, that line between retaining a sense of self-authority, maybe that's a better way to say it, a self-authority, and to be seen as capable and competent to assess our own life trajectory and to have our experiences and how life is occurring to us uh, not being uh, funneled through a singular, you know, monotheistic concept. What would that be like? That'd be amazing. Carolyn Miss, she's an author, she writes, a spiritual distinction between modern peoples and primal peoples, whether in Africa, Australia, Southeast Asia, the Pacific Islands, Siberia, or the many tribes of North and South American Indians is that the primal consciousness has not been altered by the conditions and dichotomies of modern technological society. As a result, it is not fragmented, but remains whole. So I like that word. Um, again, looking at our modern dilemma of feeling nature disconnected, um, having trouble investing in community, um, having the uh, the singular self-empowered um, uh, successful life being promoted in virtually every uh, you know modern country and sector of industry and career. Um, it's you know we're fragmented. Those are all parts, and there's, there's so many domains I know in my own life where there are certain ways I show up in certain domains of my life that are in incoherence you know, with other things, you know, my, my, the way that I view the world and believe and think and feel about how the, the you know, I want to be in the world is I'm not consistent across all the aspects of my life. I'm working towards it, you know, because as I've been doing this work, um, trying to make myself whole again, I see that a big part of that work is, is becoming consistent across all realms of the parts of my life. Uh, but this being fragmented, I think is a, is a good word to look at and how do we take on the process of making ourselves whole again. She goes on, divine worship, for example, would not be regarded as an activity to be separated or isolated from other activities. Life as lived is a sacred activity in and of itself. And I think that's really powerful. One worships as one breathes, work and play, not leisure, but play, are not so much opposites, but simply two sides of the same coin. Primal peoples, the term that has replaced the pejorative primitive, make no distinction between art, craft, work, and even religion. And so to learn about primal religions, as Houston Smith says, we can, quote, start anywhere with paintings, dance, drama, poetry, songs, dwellings, or even utensils and other artifacts. Or we could study the daily doings of his people, which are also not separated in sacred, in, into sacred and profane. And two, because primal peoples tend to live in harmony with the physical world, their consciousness is generally identified with the earth in a particular place, often a rather small locality where they live. Plants, trees, animals, hills and valleys, waterways, lakes, and even rocks are experienced as spiritual beings in their own right. Each particular place has its own spirit. 
Another way of saying this is that in the primal consciousness, God, or your word for God, is nature, manifested in myriad ways and forms. Such an, such an understanding is sometimes referred to as animism, or the belief that all of physical reality is animated by spirit. End quote. So, a lot of food for thought here. And when it comes to right relationship and nature, um, I guess I just want to wrap this up as a, a call, a call to reflect, a call to reflect, to for each of us to look into ourselves, to um, to come back to that um, that question: Are you willing to see yourself as nature connected right now? Even if you're living in the penthouse of New York City and haven't, you know, put your foot on grass in a year or whatever, you're still, you know, that building, all of New York City, those buildings were built from the earth. So right relationship starts with reconciling this notion that we're nature disconnected and that we need nature connection in order to experience ourselves as uh, you know, harmonic beings living on this planet. And I would say that all the, uh, all the activities that go along with nature connection, um, and there's a lot of them, all kinds of different ways, creative, you know, creativity, creative imaginative ways to get out in nature and to experience it and enjoy it and to, to, to feel the nature connection are all valid and when we all need to do them I do feel like that's a big part of why we've become so the feeling of disconnected has become so so strong is because we just don't put ourselves into the natural context of nature and to do that you know if we start to understand you know to build relationship with things like the grass and the rocks and the trees to hug trees to talk to animals to look at everything as having its own spirit and that it's got some some level of sentience and some rights to exist and to do whatever it's doing in its own way, even if it's just a rock sitting there, um, to, to walk past that rock and, and just acknowledge it, right? How would that start to change the way that you think about your own self and the way that you think about the people around you and the way that you think about the ways, you know, how we interact with all the different aspects of our lives and go through our days? So that's the challenge, and it's, it's a big bite. So I don't want to, um, you know, to make this overwhelming, but as usual, I always want to give everyone just something, to do something simple, do something simple, right? Um, it only takes a few minutes to just start putting into practice um, ways that lead us back to embracing ourselves as natural beings, living as an aspect of nature, not separate from it, on a planet. You know, again, the, the timeline of humanity, if you're looking at it from the anthropological, scientific perspective, um, hundreds of thousands of years, we've been walking around as Homo sapien. It's really just been in the last, you know, a couple thousand years that uh, we have grown so, so far away from interacting with the earth directly. Uh, mostly by technology. You think of all the technology we developed and how, you know, when's the last time you had to get your hands actually dirty to get something done, right? We've got so many devices and all the bright minds and amazing industries that have created tools 
and technologies that um, enable us to do all the things that um, would be really difficult to do and challenging and, and you know, simply, you know, again, just like you want to cook some food, you just turn a knob. You want to drive across the country, just get behind the wheel of a vehicle and, you know, push the pedal down. You want to, you know, fly around the world, just get into a big silver thing and sit down and just wait a little while and you'll get there. It's incredible how much we've um, made for ourselves from the earth to experience these amazing aspects of, you know, our human experience, right? Like I'm trying to imagine what it'd be like for our ancestors uh, if we could go back in time and pull an ancestor from, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40,000 years ago and bring them here and, and, sh- and watch them completely, their mind just get blown with what we have. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I'm not really wanting to um, discredit or disavow anything we've done as humans. But I do feel like because of the way that we have grown, that we've used nature, interpreted it into all the things we've made with our technologies, um, has taken us off this, you know, it's taken us left or right or whatever. It's taken us off this synchronistic harmonized path with nature that we even you know were a part of for a long 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 time and i feel like if people like you and like me and anyone else would um take start taking the small steps to, just to get back into nature to lay in the grass uh consciously you know to look at trees and birds and snails and whatever else and to look at them as like little beings who have lives that are important and then, you know, continue on with your life, whether you're working in a high tech company or a blue collar job or whatever, but to take, take that consciousness and that awareness into the rest of your day, the rest of your life, the rest of your relationships. Um, I hold the belief that how we use our technology would actually enrich this planet, enrich all of the natural aspects around us that we are a part of, instead of depleting them and compromising them and, and uh, disrupting all the the mechanisms and systems of this planet that have kept us alive all this time, you know? So that's really it. But the main thing is that um, right relationship, that's that's really the word I wanna take away, I'd like you to take away with you, right relationship. You're not nature disconnected. You are nature. You are nature. You are nature. And if you can wrap your mind around that and take that into your heart, and start to let your feelings sort of dance with it and start looking at yourself as an expression of nature in the same ways that trees and birds and rocks and everything else is an expression of nature, um, then you might be able to start looking at those things as, as kin, as the one author quoted, as family. And if that was happening, and, and, the, and the feelings that would follow that, right? So you think about how you um, love your friends and families and if you were able to extend those same kind of feelings outwardly towards the rest of nature. And imagine if all 8 billion of us were getting onto that page. Um, I think we'd have a radically different looking situation in front of us around our planetary health. But we gotta start somewhere. You know, and if you're someone who has nieces or nephews or your own kids, um, do it for them. Why not? And uh, and yeah, 
you know, for me, my own journey, just the last thing I'll say here, my own journey with this over the last 25, 30 years of embracing these ways of thinking about myself as nature and developing connection and relationship to nature and, and getting to a place now where I, I do more, more times than not when I look out at nature or when I'm taking a hike or doing anything where I come in contact with nature, uh, I really, my, it's becoming more and more common that my first sort of thought is, hey, brother, sister, life, living thing, how can I care for you? How can I respect you? How can I look out for you? And that, that has changed a lot of the way that I move through the world. Um, for the better, because I feel way better about who I am and I feel way better about my contribution to, to harmonic living, to right relationship. And it's hella difficult. It's hella challenging. It's, it's definitely caused some disruptions and some inconveniences and forced me to make some changes based on my convictions of how I feel about that. That has led me to a lifestyle that is, you know, has a pretty different value system than what the average person is out there um, pursuing. And, um, and that's another podcast. No regrets, but there's certain, uh, I can still feel these little tendrils of ideas and pictures of success that I held as a young man that still sometimes pull on me. Um, and I'll feel this little pang of like, oh, but that's what I, you know, that's would if I had that, if that success came to me, whether it's the, the big house, the nice car, the awesome family, the, the traveling lifestyle, whatever it is, uh, then I would be, you know, fully fulfilled. Uh, so that feeling still comes, but the feeling that I have as my bedrock now, which is my connection to nature, connecting connection to myself as nature, you know, that's always there. And so the, that feeling will also come up and those two contrasting feelings, uh, you know, consciously I get to evaluate them. And uh, yeah, there's some grief, you know, there's a lot of beliefs and concepts and notions that I got as a kid that I've been, um, you know, I get practice in discarding them all the time because they're still being reinforced out there in the greater worlds in the messaging. And, um, and they still come up and I still have to feel that pull to want them and to think of all of the ways that I could go after them. Uh, and then I just have to retouch in. I have to go on a hike. I have to hold the rock. I have to admire a butterfly or a lizard or watch the clouds pass and get back in touch with the satisfaction and sense of fulfillment and purposefulness I already feel just coming as uh, you know, that comes from being someone who sees myself as part of nature and wanting to be part of the rest of the natural system on this planet all right i'm gonna stop there um thanks for listening thanks for tuning in uh yeah It'll be interesting for me to listen to this back. I think I was talking pretty fast. I said a lot. I hope some of it sinks in. But the really question I just want to leave you with is, are you willing to see yourself as nature connected? And if you're willing to do that, buy into that belief, make, you know, determine that's true for yourself. Um, are you then willing to let the feeling of what that means, you know, to feel the feelings of calling yourself nature connected come forward? 
And from there, letting your feelings guide you to different decision-making, different processes, different choicefulness, going through the awkward discomfort of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for a hike today and I'm actually going to pick up a rock and talk to it or whatever. And just have fun with it. You know, enjoy your creativity, enjoy your imagination, enjoy these amazing attributes of our, humani our humanity that um, enable us to rediscover ourselves, re-identify ourselves, contribute consciously and actively to, uh, to all this planet is offering us to give back to it. All right, good enough. Um, I will see you next time and uh, thanks for listening. All right, folks, thanks so much for tuning in. That is our episode for today. Uh, appreciate your attention. And uh, yeah, hope you uh, heard something that touches you, that inspires you. And uh, if so, you know, find a way to take it into your life and uh, share it with a friend. Uh, for all things Rising Man, don't forget you can head on over to risingman.org and check out the program list there. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, if you drop into any one of those programs, you will be in a group of men who are passionate and committed to uh, developing themselves to find their fullest expression of their gifts, giving back to their communities, contributing to this world to make it a better place. And you can be one of them and have all that support with you. So uh, check it out. Um, also, please, uh, if you like this, uh, hit the like button and um, subscribe to the podcast on the podcast app of your choice. Uh, you can go to YouTube and see some video too if you'd like to watch and listen at the same time. And uh, and leave us a rating on uh, iTunes. That actually really helps. And if you know, we're really trying to get this message and uh, these uh, ideas out to other men. And getting those likes and those little reviews really helps uh, bump us up in the listings. And it just gets it in front of other men who are looking for this kind of information and inspiration. So thanks for doing that. Major props to the Rising Man Power Team. That is Mark, Julian, Roan, and Ryan. Those four guys are the ones who uh, get my voice off of my devices into your ears. And they make it sound great and look great. And I really appreciate their effort and time in doing that. And uh, that's it. Until next time, find out about who you are inside by getting outside.